and uh, good to see you this morning. You're very welcome to our service. And if someone, if anybody's watching online, you're very welcome also to join us uh, in worship this morning. Um, unfortunately, it's with deep regret that I announced the death of Jack Eckford, who passed away on Wednesday. Uh, the funeral will be here in the church at 1 p.m. on Tuesday. Our thoughts and our prayers go out to Millicent and John and all of the family. Messy Church is on this afternoon. Please remember to pray for Ben and for the team, um, for this is our first Messy Church since COVID. Um, Life Lounge takes place this evening at half past seven uh, with Andy Shields as the guest this evening, and he'll be interviewed on the sofa. And uh, we would appreciate help after this morning's service, please, to set up for Life Lounge. Family services next week. Um, it's under the theme, God of Wonders, the wonders of what God does in our world and uh, his creation. So please bring all the children along, bring everyone along, bring your neighbors along. There's kids passing along the street, pull them in, <laughs> bring them in, okay, get them here next Sunday morning. And there's also a wee baptism going to take place also next Sunday morning. Uh, there'll be a, a committee meeting uh, this Tuesday night, half past seven in the church. Also, uh, New Communicants class will meet this Wednesday at half past seven. So far, we've had to cancel each week because there haven't been enough people. People have been sick or not, not available. So third time, <laughs> third time lucky, you could say. We're going to try for this Wednesday night, half past seven. And everyone's welcome to that. Tom Shaw is going to now just give us a little taster of what we can expect. I'm looking forward to it on Friday night, the Harvest Supper. to do for you but anyway um let me just say two weeks ago today pat invited you all to our harvest supper on friday this week 7 30 in the church uh there'll be a very very nice supper but there'll also be an opportunity for us to give you an update on the work uh, that we support in Arequipa, in Peru. And um, it will be an opportunity to get information about, you know, what difference is the support that we provide making to the children in the children's home. And um, I'm just going to ask Chris, if he would do so, to put up the name of the children's home for you. If you... Um, are a Spanish speaker, you'll have no difficulty. Casa Hogar el Amor de Dios, which means house and home of the love of God. And that's what it's called and that's what it's about. And uh, whenever Evelyn and I were there three weeks ago, we spent four days with the children in the home. And um, I'll tell you more about that on, on Friday. But just for today, the children all grouped together at whenever we were leaving, and they all came together and they all send you a greeting. Now, we're going to run the greeting twice because it's a little bit hard to make out what they say. They don't speak fluent English for obvious reasons. But um, here are the children of Casa Hogar El Amor de Dios greeting you from 8,000 miles away. Thank you.
Uno, dos y tres. I hope you made out that they were thanking you, Ballycrocken, for the prayers and for the financial support that you have given them over a number of years now. And um, I want to assure you that is absolutely genuine. And those children, ranging from about five through to 17, pray for Ballycrocken every week. I'm not going to ask you, do we pray for them every week? But just bear that in mind. There are children eight and a half thousand miles away who are concerned about us. So thank you for all the support you've given in the past. If you can come on Friday, uh, the mission team will be absolutely delighted and we'll give you a lot more information and maybe a bit of tourism as well. So we'll see you then. Bye. signed up, it uh, could be a good night. If you haven't signed up yet, there's a list just on the table in the vestibule. Uh, please do that before you, you leave today. Um, as some of you know, we had, a, we had a, an Elders' Day yesterday, a very good, uh, profitable Elders' Day yesterday, and I'm just going to ask Barry to come uh, and tell us a wee bit, just tell the congregation a wee bit about what we're planning. Morning, everyone. Um, when we finished our church weekend in May, it's hard to believe it was that long ago, it seems like yesterday, I promised I'd write up all the output that you produced and presented to the Kirk session at the first opportunity. And that happened yesterday, as Mark said, when uh, the session spent the day discussing the report and its contents and praying about it. And just to remind you, during the weekend, we developed a post-COVID mission statement for the church and it included six prioritised values or attributes, and we ended up with this. Chris, if you can just put that on the screen. It's probably easier to read than listen to me say it, but it's Ballycrocken will be known throughout this community as a church which shares and reflects the love of Jesus by being prayerful, all-age-focused, helping, and a live church, welcoming and community-focused. We will, we will be recognised as a growing church and one which is unafraid to take risks or break barriers in the name of our Lord. We also came up with 42 actions to help us deliver our mission and values. Now, the first thing I should say is it was clear from the start yesterday that the elders supported your recommended actions and they want to seriously consider implementing them all or certainly as many as possible. We also saw clear synergies across the various actions and agreed that to take them forward would involve elements of training, encouragement and reassurance, facilitation and feedback. It was also clear that prayer was not only a desire in itself, but it would be needed to underpin everything that we do in moving forward. Finally, we felt very strongly that taking the plan forward shouldn't just be the responsibility of the ministerial team, the session of the committee, but that everybody in the congregation should be given an opportunity to contribute ideas on how we'll do these things and to suggest how they can help in a greater or smaller way. Every bit of help will make a difference. So we concluded three things. One, the session is going to nominate uh, elder subgroups to focus on taking the sets of recommendations forward and to then report back on their progress. 
Secondly, we're going to develop a congregational survey, and that will enable you to guide our plans and say how you might be able to help. And we all know that there's many people who have great skills in, uh, in, in service, and you see it at the, at the front of the church or during the music or, or in many other ways. But in actual fact, everyone has skills and interests that contribute, can contribute to taking forward God's plan for this area. And the survey is going to be designed to help us understand the roles we can all play and what might be achieved through our collective efforts. And as the advert says, every little does help. We need to ensure that we regularly update the congregation on the uh, difference our collective effort and prayers are making to East Spangler and beyond. And the third thing we agreed was to look at how we communicate that better and in a way that suits absolutely everyone's needs, whether they prefer online or something in paper. And to that end, we will take time in a future service to talk more about the survey. Some of the things on your list that we can take forward or begin early, and other things related to the report. So in the meantime, can I ask you, if you haven't got a copy of the report, there's some in the vestibule, and also we can email you copies if we have your email address, and I know people have been providing their email addresses as part of the recent survey. And please do pray about it as well, because if you've read the report, you'll know that attached to it is an absolutely beautiful prayer. And I love this prayer because it was written by the people who were there at the weekend. And, um, and it talks about our collective desires for the community and the blessing that we seek from God and taking it forward. So please do pray. Uh, over the next several weeks about all the things we're going to do to go forward. And uh, as I said, the prayer at the back of this is a great place to start. So thanks for listening. Thank you, Barry. Um, today I want to have we look at, at David uh, in the Old Testament, the man after God's own heart. That's what he's, what he's described as, uh, the writer of many beautiful psalms. Um, and some of our elders will be reading some of the wonderful lines from different psalms that David wrote throughout the service today. Um, but let me just start the service with three verses of Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we want to come uh, to you this morning. Lord Jesus, we welcome you here as our shepherd, and we are the sheep. And Lord, we want to, like, uh, like Martha Instead of being busy, Lord, we want to be like Mary who sits at your feet. We want to just come this morning, Lord, and you know our heart's desires this morning. You know, Lord, what problems that we're facing outside. Lord, you know the difficulties that some of us are going through and the heartbreak that some are going through in this congregation. We just want to quieten ourselves this morning and Jesus, you being the shepherd, us being the sheep, may we sit at your feet throughout this service and may we hear what your Holy Spirit has to say to our hearts. 
pray, forgive our sins, Lord Jesus, and bring us close into you, into your bosom this morning. In the name of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to stand. We're going to sing the Lord's my shepherd. I'll not want.
now Brian's going to come and read Psalm 8, verses 3 to 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Boys and girls, you want to come up here today? Any boys and girls want to come up to the front? You see better? And have a wee story by song just afterwards? You want to come up? <laughs> come on, Daisy. Good girl. If you look up at that screen, I'm going to tell you a story about David. And anybody else know who? What, anybody else in this story? Big, tall, tall, tall Philistine soldier, Goliath. Come out here a wee bit, because you'll need to see the screen. Okay, come and I'll tell you a story. Have we look. Now, David lived in the Old Testament many, 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 many years ago, and he was a shepherd boy. He looked after, he was the youngest of all his brothers, and he looked after the sheep for his father. And he was a lovely fella and was very committed to the sheep. Sometimes, sometimes he had to try and save the sheep when a big bear came at the sheep or a big lion would roar and threaten to take the wee sheep away, he had to come in and with his sling, he, he, he had got a stone, put it in, in the sling and swung it around and he'd hit the bear and he'd hit the lion and he'd protect them. So he was very brave as well, but he was also very creative. Sorry, he was close to God. Sorry, that back but he was very close to God. He wrote a lot of the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms that we read this morning, the hymn book of Jesus. He wrote a lot of those Psalms. Amazing person. But then one day his father told him to take some sandwiches down to his brothers, and his brothers were down fighting the Philistines down in the valley, and the Philistines were on one side of the, 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 the valley, and the, the Israelites' army were on the other side. And he went on down to give sandwiches. He was only a young lad. He went down to give sandwiches to his brothers. And when he got down there, he saw this big giant of a man. He was huge. And every single part of his body was covered in armor apart from his forehead. Everything was covered in armor. If you'd have fired an arrow at it, it would just ricochet off it. And he went down. He saw this big man. And the big man was shouting over from one side of the river to the other, come out and fight me. Come and fight me now. Come on. And he was insulting the people. He was insulting God. And this was just awful. You see, what happened in those days, if you had two big armies, sometimes they decided, let's, rather than lose a lot of people on either side, we'll have one person from one army and the other person, another person from the opposing army and come out and fight. Whoever fights will win the whole battle. So that's what that was about. And Goliath was saying, come out and fight. Come out, you chickens. Come on, you're scared, you're cards. Come on out. And uh, when David arrived down the sandwiches, 
He saw this guy, and he goes, what? he said to his brothers, what's going on here? What's going on here? And they said, don't you worry about it. You're only a kid. You're only a kid. You're coming down here. Who's looking after the sheep when you're away? And David said, this is not right. I can't allow this man. But nobody else wanted to fight him. King Saul, he was hiding in his tent. He didn't want to fight him. And David says, I'll fight him. He was only a wee boy. He says, I'll fight him. Fought off a bear before, fought off a lion before. I'll sort out this man. He's a loud mouth. Let's sort him out. So he goes to King Saul and he says to King Saul, just let me fight him. I'll fight this Philistine. Just let me at him. And uh, <laughs> the king was very, but you're only a boy. You're only a young lad. Here, you'll never be able to beat this man, this Goliath. And he says, listen, I have fought a bear before. I've protected my father's sheep. I've fought a lion before. And just the way I slayed a bear and I slayed a lion, I'll slay this man also who's mouthing about God and mouthing about our people. So Saul says, well, all right, we'll take my armor then. So he took his armor. And all his army, armor back then was really heavy. It's like a metallic, you know, metal. And it was... We David was trying to walk, and he couldn't walk. It was so heavy. He says, how on earth am I going to fight this man with all this armor on me? It's far too heavy. It's, I can't, I'm not used to that. I'm not used to that. I can't even walk with this armor on. He says, leave me alone, and I'll go and get him. So what David did was, David went down to the wee river, and he looked for five smooth stones, Right? And he got them, and he picked out nice five smooth stones. Now, he only needed one stone to kill the guy with, but some people say that Goliath had four brothers, and he was ready for the four brothers if they were to come. So anyway, he chose five smooth stones, and he put a stone in the sling. Do you know what a sling is? It's like a big, long piece of cloth, and in the bottom it holds a stone. And he took the sling... And he came up against Goliath, and he swung the sling round his head once, and twice, and three times, and like a big helicopter, four times, and then he just went, and the stone went flying through the air at 200 miles an hour, and hit Goliath just right in the forehead. Well, Goliath had never anything like that come into his mind before, sure he didn't. And it hit him right there, and Goliath, he just collapsed and went down. And he had killed him. He had killed him. And this wee boy, he ended up, he ended up coming to be king of all Judah and Israel. So <laughs> what are we going to take home with us today about this? Now, I'm going to tell you another wee story. And this one's in the New Testament. When Peter and John... When Peter and John were coming to the temple, it was the custom that they would come to the temple to pray at three o'clock in the afternoon. And as they were coming to the temple, there was this man sitting at the temple gates. And he'd been lame. He couldn't walk. Crutches, couldn't walk from birth. He could never, never able to walk. And so he wasn't able to work. So what he used to do, somebody would bring him there. And all day he'd just sit there and he'd collect money. People would give him money. 
to live. So he was a beggar, basically. And so whenever they were coming into the temple, this man was sitting with his hand out like this. Well, Peter and John, they oh, didn't have a wallet with them, didn't have any money with them, didn't have anything with them. Said, sorry, we've nothing to give you that way. But they said, what we can give you, we give to you in the name of the Lord, of, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, that's a very similar thing. When David went to fight Goliath, he said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And here we have Peter and John saying, in, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Because there's power in Jesus' name. It's not just an ordinary name. It's the name in, the, in Scripture. It refers to the character of God. It refers to his power, his kindness, his goodness, his compassion. Everything about God is represented by his name. So when we pray, and we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying with the authority of God and the power of God behind us. And that's why when David came against Goliath, he came in the name of the Lord, and he beat him. And whenever Peter came to uh, this beggar man, he said, silver or gold, I, I, I don't have my wallet. Silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Now, Jesus said... If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, now at that time in all Israel, that was the smallest seed ever that you could ever find. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a little mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move and nothing will be impossible to God. So we have, when we have trust, when we put our trust in Christ, even if our faith is only a pocket full of faith, a little tiny mustard seed, Putting our faith in a powerful God, when we pray to him, we can be mountain movers. God can move the mountains for us. God can change situations for us. God can heal, and God can restore, and God can revive. Uh, we can be mountain movers, praying in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, because we have his authority behind us. Okay, you'll be very good. <laughs> Yeah, but you're very quiet, Daisy. Are you all right? Are you? <laughs> you're okay? Are you? Good, 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 good. Did the, did, the, did the big guy scare you, did he? Okay, if you want to sit down there, we're going to tell that wee story, but by song. Now, you'll not know this song, so you can just sit and watch it for a couple of minutes. And it's about David and Goliath. Okay? Okay, that's <laughs>
And some of the adults, you need to remember that, not just the children. You need to remember that if you're going through a difficult patch, when God on your side, nothing is impossible. And that when we do pray, it's not just hitting the ceiling, but when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying with the authority of God on our backs and in our hearts. And it's nothing that we do, but more about who he is that can bring about miracles, it can bring about transformation in our lives. So thanks very much for listening. You didn't interrupt, which I'm a wee bit disappointed. <laughs> Go on and have a nice time and Sunday club, okay? And I'll see you next week. Bring your friends next week, all right? Bring God of wonders next week. See what's going to happen, okay? <laughs> I'm going to ask uh, Tom, Tom Henry to come and read Psalm 27, verses 8 and verses 13 to 14. This is read from the NIV. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. I remain confident of this. I will seek the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Just wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. A message through again and again yesterday uh, to the elders at uh, Seek. His face, Alvin was speaking about it at the beginning, and then we shared communion. And as Barry came in, something that he was sharing was about seeking God's face. Now, nobody, had, they, they hadn't been together to find out, you know, what one they were doing. And then when the man came from Good News for Everyone, who's the Gideons, there was a verse he left with us, Jeremiah 29, if you seek me with all your hearts. That is something that God was definitely saying to us yesterday and saying to us as a congregation to go deeper, there is more, to go deeper, to seek God, to seek his face. So, um, okay. I'm going to ask Pat uh, to come now, and Pat's going to read for us Psalm 9, verses 1 to 2. Now remember, these are all David's, parts of David's Psalms.
heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. Thank you, Pat. Let's pray a moment. In Psalm 13, verse 1, David says, How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And life feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Life sometimes feels like that. Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? And going through a difficult patch. Lord, where are you? And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we find that he's come close. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christ, in such proximity, comes to us. And Christ himself says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. I'm coming close to you. Pray. Father, we pray, Lord, um, for Millicent, and we pray for John and for Barry and the family. The Lord, in the loss of Jack, Lord, that they might know your peace and your presence with them and your loving arms around them your strength to keep going. Lord, I pray that even in this darkest moment, they may keep the eyes of their heart fixed on you. And Lord, we just want your presence in our midst this morning. We want to know that we have met with you, that you are right with us, that you're upon us, that you're Christ before us, behind us, to the left, to the right, and within us. We want to know that presence of yours, Lord. Help us, Lord, to seek your face. Lord, we pray for messy church this afternoon that, God, your hand would be upon it, all those little children. Lord, you know every single one of them, and you know the, the plans you have for each and every single one of them. And we pray, Lord, that your plan, that your will would be done in every life and that the enemy would not be able to thwart them. Father, we pray for the team, that you would encourage the team, that you would guide the team. Speak through Ben. Anoint everything that's said and done, Lord, for your glory. Father, we pray also for lifelines this evening, and we thank you for the privilege of having um, lifelines, a time to, to sit and reflect, a time to stop, a time to get off the hamster's wheel and, and worship you and just hear what you're saying to us. I pray, Lord, for more of a folk that would come. I pray that people that maybe don't that have put it in a category that it's not for me, I pray they'd try it. I pray they'd come out. I pray be with the whole band and be with Andy as he shares and Brian as he leads. Father, we pray lastly for our government. Father, which has gone through a difficult week, and we pray, God, for wisdom. We pray, God, for a Christian prime minister. We pray, God, for someone who is going to stand up for what is right and who's going to have a heart for the people and not just for 
the government. I pray, Lord, for our executive as well, Lord, which doesn't seem to be moving anywhere. Pray, God, give wisdom and insight and guidance. I pray that you would move any obstacles in the name of Jesus Christ. Move any obstacles that are there that would stop harmony and function, functioning within the executive. And Lord, may we know your blessing. May we know Christian leaders in our country. Raise them up, Lord. And we ask all of these things. And we ask that you would remain with us as we meditate upon the things that David has written and the things that you, has, you sung as a boy and as a young lad. Help us to reflect on them. In Jesus' name. We're going to stand and we're going to sing in Christ alone.
Psalm 51, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. and Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. Do not, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Father, we just ask you to come. And Lord, we pray that you would put on our hearts, Lord, what you want there. Father, it might be different for us, for each person. You might have something, Lord, different for each person. But I pray, Lord, as we break this manna, as we break your word and open it up, Father, that we might feel what David felt and that we might identify with it in our own hearts and that we might respond to what your spirit is saying and prompting us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at a prayer um, over the next number of weeks, and this is a prayer that we can learn so much from. It's a prayer from the heart of David. I wonder, do you ever have any regrets? I know I have regrets. Um, in your life, if you had the chance, is there anything you'd like to do over again? Are there things you didn't do, but you wish you had? Are there things you did do, but you wish you hadn't? If only, you know, if only I had this part of my life to live over again, I would do it differently. David is a man, and we've heard some lovely psalms this morning, but he's a man with regrets. And that's where this prayer comes from. The mother once approached Napoleon, um, seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor said, uh, I'm sorry, madam, but uh, he's committed this offense twice, and justice demands that he be put to death. 
But I don't ask for justice, the mother replied. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, Napoleon said, I I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Psalm 51 is David seeking the mercy of God. His opening verse, his prayer from his heart, begins, have mercy upon me. It's from the depths of his soul. His life, it had so much potential. It was going so well. Up to this point, he was riding on the crest of a wave, but now it had come crashing down around him. God had been with him, with him as a boy as he tended his father's sheep. He'd been with him as he wrote some beautiful psalms. He'd been with him as he faced a lion, as he faced a bear. He'd been with him as he faced Goliath. He'd been with him even as King Saul chased him all over the country. And he was with them as he unified the country as a king, bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. But one regretful night, one regretful night would make David a thief, a liar, a lousy friend, and a murderer, and would leave his relationship with God in tatters. And now with Tears falling down his face onto the papyrus that he's writing. He seeks God's mercy. Mercy is all I ask for. Have mercy upon me, O God. For about a year, he hadn't recognized his need for mercy. Strange, isn't it, how we can develop a crust on our hearts, um, a casing around our hearts, a a casing of self-righteousness where we think we're better than what we are. You know, what experts we are at making excuses for sin. You know, I did it because he deserved it. Or come on, it's 21st century now. Don't be living away in the past. Or at least I'm not as bad as that woman or that man. And we make ourselves feel a bit better. I wonder what David's excuses were that he came up with. What, what did he do? What did David do? You'll find the account in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Basically, um, what happened uh, was this. He was at the point of success in his career that he didn't really need to be anymore a soldier at the front in the army. Uh, he had plenty of recruits. They were at a battle with the Ammonites. That's where his armies were. And they were doing really well. There was no need for David to come down and get involved. So David has a night off. And he's relaxing. And just be careful. Be careful of temptation when you're on your own. David has a night off. He tries to sleep in a nice, comfortable bed in the palace. And he, whether it's too hot, we don't know, but he tosses and he turns. And he gets out of his bed and he walks about a bit. And he goes out to get some air on the roof And he glances over, and he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath, and he's transfixed. And he says to one of his servants, who is she? And he says, oh, I think that's Bathsheba. Uriah, he's the soldier. He's out fighting for you at the moment. 
And uh, I think that's who it is. It's, it's, it's his wife. And you just want to say at that point, David, would you go and take a hot shower or a cold shower? If you can't sleep, would you just take a Horlicks? Do something. Don't go down that road. But he allows the attraction that he has in this woman, this fixation, to turn into a lustful desire. And as you know, he sleeps with her. And for a while, he probably thinks he's got away with it. But then he finds out that she's pregnant. And then he has to decide, well, how am I going to cover this up? What are people going to think of me? I'm going to have to try and cover this up. So he sends a message to the, the army uh, chief of staff, Joab, you call him. He sends a message down to him, please send Uriah back to me. And so Uriah comes back, and uh, David sends some food over to his house. Overnight. But Uriah, he has a, a principle. Um, he wouldn't sleep with his wife that night because he knows that his own army are sleeping under tents or out under the stars at the battlefront. So he won't do that. So the next day, David tries something different. He gets him drunk, hoping that he will go down again and sleep with his, go down and sleep with his wife. And, and that would be it. The baby would be seen as his. But again, he sleeps at the king's gate. He won't go down. So David has to go into drastic measures and what he does, he, he sends Uriah back to the front line and he sends with him he sends with him a message to tell Joab to put him on the front line, make a powerful attack, an all-front attack on the Ammonites, and then when these are all at the front, pull back and allow Uriah to be killed. So that's what Joab does. He knows where the most skillful Ammonite fighters are of the army. So he rushes them in, and many are killed, not just Uriah, but Uriah is killed. And the news comes back to David, and he feels probably that's it sorted. That's me off the hook. Nobody will ever know. And uh, David here, who had been such a, a man of God, David who, wanting all his life, writing those Psalms, just longing to honor God all his life, all his days, yet in a short period of time, he has broken five of the Ten Commandments in one small period of disobedience. I wonder what excuses was done, were, were, were his excuses that he told himself, that he told his conscience for a whole year. It didn't bother him. So he must have been telling his own conscience some sort of excuses. Perhaps he told himself what was done and needed to be done. In order for me to remain king, this had to be done. The people need me. The nation would fall apart without me. They, I needed to do this. Or perhaps he was just so used as a soldier of bloodshed that it was just one other army guy that had been killed. No big deal. You know, it's quite surprising that David can be so hard-hearted and deny his sin at this point. 
he writes to the chief of staff, Job, a lovely letter saying, Job, basically, basically he was writing, don't worry about this. These things happen in battle. You know, we know for about a year, David had buried the guilt of his dirty deed way down deep in his heart until God sends this prophet, Nathan. And Nathan sits down with him and he begins to tell him a story. He says, there was once a rich man and there was a poor man. And the rich man, he had many sheep and cattle. He had thousands of them. The poor man had only one little ewe lamb. The children grew up with it. They gave it a name. It was just part of the family. They loved it. But one night a traveler came to the rich man's house and rather than kill one of his thousand sheep and give the man a meal, costing him very little, he, go, he gets a servant and he goes to this man next door who's very poor and he takes this little ewe lamb and he kills it and he gives it to the traveler to eat. David is livid. David says, let me know who this man is. He will surely die. I will not settle until this man has paid for this with his life. This is horrendous. And Nathan turns around and points the finger at him and says, you're the man. You, David, are the man. You're the man. You could have had any woman in the kingdom. You could have had anyone. But you went and picked the woman of this soldier who's out fighting on your behalf at the front line and you had him killed. You know, all David could bring himself to say at this moment is, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. You know, if that happened today, if that was a similar situation somewhere today, I don't think there'd be many of us would have much sympathy for David, would we? I think our attitudes would be slapping in them. Deserves it. Out of this agony of soul, he starts to pray. You know, what Nathan says to David, it strikes through, like we're told in Hebrews, that the word of God, it penetrates both marrow, bone and marrow and spirit and soul. And you're the man. It went through every feeble excuse that David had told himself for the reason he sinned and went right through, through the heart. Have mercy upon me, O God, he says. Just show me mercy. You know, he's probably wondering, and in my own life sometimes I've wondered this, has God enough mercy to cover what I've done? Has God enough mercy to cover what you have done? His hands are covered in another man's blood. He says, my sin is always before me. It is haunting him now. It's with him day and night. 
heavy, like a wet blanket on his soul. It's tearing him apart. And he says, I acknowledge my transgressions. You know, it's only when we see the gravity of our own sin that we become aware of our own need of God's mercy. Our walk with God, of course, only begins when we reach out to Christ in forgiveness. You might say, well, Christ isn't in the Old Testament. David looked forward to the Messiah coming to a solution for his sin, as did everyone in the Old Testament, looking forward to a solution. They looked forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. And it's through Christ, through it's our trust in Christ, that we find that forgiveness and we start our walk with God. And perhaps a particular sin haunts you, something you regret that also just is like a wet blanket hanging over your soul, and every day you regret it. Forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. Complete forgiveness. Isaiah 1, 18, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they, may, they shall be as white as snow. If you're not a Christian, I really want you to think about this. If you haven't decided on following Christ, there's no one here that is better than you. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're coming by the grace of God and you find forgiveness in him just as all of us do. And there's enough mercy and there's enough grace for anything you've done. There is forgiveness. And if you're already a Christian, may I encourage you to keep short accounts with God. Allow nothing to interfere with your relationship with him. Asking for forgiveness, that's what keeps our relationship fresh. And that's why this type of prayer from the heart is so important from each of us. It keeps our relationship fresh. It keeps our relationship with God honest. David come, David's prayer comes from the depth of his soul. He says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. This is the type of prayer which God loves to hear. Prayer from the heart. But poor David, I feel for him. I really feel for him. I feel with him. He feels totally unworthy of God's presence. He knows fine well that he doesn't deserve God's presence. He knows that God is well within his rights to abandon him and to, to push him to the side. He saw that with King Saul, God took his Holy Spirit from King Saul, the previous king. And he's worried that the same thing is going to happen to him. And he prays, he pleads with God, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, my identity is in you. Who I am is in you. Everything that is good about me is because of you. Please do not. And he pleads with him, just as Peter you know, when Peter had denied Jesus three times and then he's in the boat and Jesus is making the breakfast on the beach and, and Peter 
recognizes that it's Jesus, he jumps out of the boat and he runs as quickly as he can to Jesus, back to Jesus. And if you're far from the Lord, you're a Christian and you're just, things aren't as fresh as they used to be, or you've backslidden is a term we use, but if you just aren't there, my, 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 my um, advice to you would be run, run into his arms, run back to him like Peter did, and you will find forgiveness, and you will find understanding, and you'll find loving kindness. The Jewish religion was filled with so many sacrifices and observances, and each had a valued part to play. But David learned, David learned that they were all for nothing. They were all for nothing if your heart isn't right with God. And you can play at church and go through church activities which are good, but they're all for nothing. The relationship with God is not right. He says, Lord, you know, if you want a sacrifice, I could give it to you. That would be easy. But I know you don't desire sacrifice. I could give you a burnt offering, Lord. I've got loads of stuff. I'm loaded. I'm rich. I could give you a great burnt offering, Lord, but I know that's not what you delight in. What you delight in, Lord, is not tangible. What you delight in, Lord, is a broken and a contrite heart. Contrite in the Hebrew means smashed to pieces. That's what you want. A sincere, genuine plea from the heart. Wash me thoroughly, and I pray, cleanse me from my sin. All I ask for is mercy. Is there mercy enough to cover all your sin? I don't know your background. Is there mercy enough to cover my sin? Is there mercy enough for me to have a relationship with God because what Christ has done on the cross? Have I done too much? Has my sin been too much? Ask for mercy. No. God's grace is much more than anything you could ever have done or will do. You know, Calvary tells us that there's plenty of mercy. Calvary tells us that there's plenty of grace. So just coming near the end now, but David, we can learn from David as he prays here. Because he comes into this prayer, this Psalm 51, he comes into it with the attitude of finding forgiveness. But then once he's found that forgiveness, he wants to move on. And some of you need to move on. Some of you beat yourselves up every day for things in the past. And you've got to move on. He refixes, refix my eyes on the prize. It's like he's saying, deal with the sins in my past, Lord. Now let me look to the future. Like when it's, it's time to move on. Kneel your sins to the cross. Move on. Whatever the sin, his blood has covered it, has more than covered it. As Paul writes, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. Lord, refix my eyes on the prize, namely you and your calling on my life.
what's left of my life, Lord. God, help me to live it for you. And not to be continually looking back into the past, into my past failures. It's time to move on. And he's preparing for whatever is ahead. And he writes in verse 10, preparing for the future. Create me a clean heart, God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lord, as you are pure, put the purity of your purity in me. And your faithfulness and steadfastness that you have shown me over the years, put that in me. May I be, put a steadfast spirit in me, oh God. Prepare me for whatever ministry I have left of my life. That's what David is praying. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I was reading last week, it's in a very interesting verse, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 19. Solomon writes, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain, takes away the life of its owners. And I thought to myself, you know, it's not just greed that takes away the life of its owners. That's what sin does. Sin takes a bit away of the life of God within us. And David writes, God, please restore that life. Restore that joy of my salvation again within me. And he says, if you do this, I'll teach people your ways. I'll lead them to you. That's my future. Deal with my past, my failures, my sins, and I'm wanting to move on. Create me a clean heart, a steadfast spirit, and move me on to reach people for God. I close now just with, um, just with a, a, a challenging, thought-provoking thought. Isn't it ironic that David tries to cover his sin and transgression by arranging the death of one man, Uriah? Isn't it ironic that it would be through the death of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of David's sins and transgressions would finally be paid for and cleared. No more debt, David. You know, we can look at David, we can either love him or hate him. To call the man after God's own heart, and I think the reason for that was, even though he made such massive mistakes, he had always a heart that would come back to the Lord. He had an honest heart that would come back. I remember Alan Redpath once saying, you know, a saint isn't one of these boys that you, the Roman Catholic Church make a saint and then they put their picture on a stained glass window. That's not a saint. Saint scripturally is the believer, the follower of Christ, who when they fall down, get back up again. And keep going. Let's pray. Father, we just, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for the characters that we can learn from in Scripture. And we see them, and we see them with their faults and their feelings, and it gives us hope because we know our own faults and feelings. Lord, I pray, do something in our hearts for the future. Lord, may we recognize that our sins have been dealt with by Christ in Calvary. 
And may we stop looking back to failures and look forward to what you want to do in our lives and in this place and in this community. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I just want to um, ask John, he's going to come up and do our final um, reading, Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. Psalm number 40, verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Amen.
Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.